0: Glory be to the the Father.
1: Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Let us pray. O oh God, be present with us always, and especially here today, as we have gathered together to praise you and to worship you and to hear your word, and receive your word. With your light and your spirit, guide our souls and our thoughts and all our actions that we might Follow Christ faithfully and obediently as we live in this world that is filled with many troubles, but also with the great joy of knowing our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. So our hymn is number 53, Praise to the Lord the Almighty. (laughs) Praise to. The
0: Lord be Almighty
1: Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let us pray our confession of sin. Eternal and merciful God, you have loved us with a love beyond our understanding and you have set us on paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Yet we have strayed from your way. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, through what we have done and what we have left undone. As in Christ we have redemption through his blood. Forgive us our trespasses. We praise you and give you thanks that you forgive us. Grant us now, we pray, the grace to die daily to sin and to rise daily to new life in Christ, who lives and reigns with you, and in whose strong name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Since, therefore, we share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same nature that through death he might destroy the power of death and that is the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death have been subject to lifelong bondage. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ that all those who have faith in him and do repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel, and together we say, Praise be to God. People of Christ, we are given... Many instructions, we are taught in several different ways in scripture about how to deal with those who persecute us, and these are words that come from the Apostle Paul. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty but associate with the lowly, never be conceited, repay no one evil for evil but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Know if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ and let us say amen our next hymn is number 608 to god my earnest voice i raise to to god let me get let me get started to god okay <laughs> to god my earnest voice i raise to god my voice imploring praise before his face my grief I show and tell my trouble and my woe. When gloom and sorrow compass me the path I take is known to thee and all the toils that foes do lay to snare thy servant in his way O Lord my save now to thee with I flee to thee, my shelter from the strife, my portion in the land of life. Be thou my help when troubles throng, for my captive soul from prison bring, and thankful praises I will sing. We have our prayers that we bring before our Lord in our worship, they're they're congregational prayers, they're inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they're uh, prayed through Christ so the Lord uh, God our Father hears them. And there are many concerns um, in this world I know that you have in your own life and that you see going on around us. And there's an insert in the bulletin mentioning um, some other concerns going on in, other, in India, but other parts of the world. So let us join our prayers together and pray for these things. Almighty God, our eternal Father, who is our beginning and our end, we thank you that you have created us and you have created the church in this world. you have betrothed us to Christ, who adorns us in holiness forever, and thus he makes us beautiful. We pray for the church to rejoice and delight in Christ, and may she be faithful to him and be pure and spotless in this world. Today we pray especially for the Presbyterian and Reformed churches in the city and in the nation. We pray for the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church and all the... um, acronyms that we have for our kinds of churches, the PCA, the RPCNA, the RCUS, the URC, the CRC, the PCUSA, the EPC, may they believe and teach the word of Christ, make us one in faith and one in baptism, one with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and may these churches confess their sin and live the new life of Jesus Christ. Here are our prayers for Presbyterian and Reformed churches. Blessed Lord who was and is and is to come, who has promised that heaven and earth will be made new, we pray for our life in this society where we live, grant that we may live simpler lives, avoiding what is ostentatious, delighting in the good order you've given to your creation, spurning what is violent and frivolous and morally disordered, and let us be willing to share with others the plenty that you have given to us. Hear our prayers. Lord of heaven and earth, to whom every authority is subject, we pray for the rulers of this earth, particularly the leaders of China and Russia and the United States. We pray for a de-escalation of military uh, bravado and also the cessation of the oppression of people where hundreds of thousands are imprisoned for doing no wrong and many are killed. We pray for the removal of leaders who act wickedly and we pray for good government in these countries. Give peace, even a provisional peace where there is no peace. Bring justice where there is no justice. We do pray for the people in Lhanapur, uh, India, and for the Christians in particular who are being attacked, and pray that you would stop these attacks. We also think of our own nation and just this, the trouble that um, Hawaii has had to face, Lahaina, Maui, um, and that island, and the fires, and the people who have to recover. Here are our prayers for all of these. Merciful Lord, who counts our tossing and sees every tear, we thank you that you shall wipe away our tears. Death will be no more, <clears throat> and there will be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, as Scripture says because all these things will have passed away in the creation that is made new through Jesus Christ. We do pray for those who mourn now, for those who are alone, for those who feel help, hopeless. Here are our prayers for those who come to mind. Our great Redeemer, we pray for those among your people who are in dispute, who are angry and upset, churches that are or have some kind of strife going on within them, or uh, pastors and elders of one church not getting along. We pray you would bring humility and reconciliation, repentance, confession of sin, and forgiveness. Here are our prayers for those we know. Our Father, for this congregation of your beloved children, we bring our petitions. We thank you that each one of us has been given a way to serve you in this world. Prosper our work as we do it unto you. Aid our missionaries and evangelists. Today we think of the Hops and the Westervelds who work alongside the churches in Haiti and Quebec. Bless them to preach and teach <clears throat> the gospel of Jesus Christ with power and clarity from the Holy Spirit. We pray for our mission work in Door, Michigan, and their pastor, John Terrell. We ask that this church would be particularized soon and would always be willing to preach the word of God and serve others. Here are our prayers for our missionary works. And for the congregation of Providence OPC, which worships you and serves you and calls upon you. Look with your gracious favor upon those who are sick or in distress or with other needs. Here are our prayers for Frida and Eduardo, for Jeff and Fawn, for Tammy's family in Nashville and Hawaii, for Becky, our friends Becky and Margaret, Angie, Phil, Tom, Vicky, Bob, Dominic, Karen, and others we name to you in silence. Give wisdom and discretion to those who assist them. Bless all the means used for their recovery, or give them peace in their weakness. Stretch forth your hand, and according to your will, restore them to health and strength, and bless them, so that they may live to praise you for your goodness and your grace. For those also who are weary of the Christian struggle, give them legs of faith to run the race, and arms of love to care for others and eyes of hope to confidently wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. To you, our Father, do we entrust our prayers by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord.
2: stand as we pray a prayer, dedicating our offering. So God, we offer you peace humble now, let's pray our prayer for illumination. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. As the scripture attests, this is not an idle word for us, but these are words of life. And we pray that as we hear the gospel, our faith, our hope, our love are all uh, invigorated um, and strengthened. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We continue our reading in Daniel. Today in chapter 10. That's right. Do I start in 10? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we begin in ten and we'll be going into chapter reading chapter eleven as well. So ten eighteen. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O oh man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and who does as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven. But not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and he shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch, from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north. And he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His son shall wage war and assemble the multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted. And he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first. And after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times, many shall arise against the king of the south, and the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well fortified city, and the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him, shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with strength, the strength of his whole kingdom. And he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage." Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them. But a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall return, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land. But he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom Royal Majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the Prince of the Covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. Then he shall stir up his power, And his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent in doing evil. They shall, break, they shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail. For the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south. But it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts." He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him shall lo- he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and di- shall divide the land for price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships, and he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land, and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand Edom and Moab, the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler. Of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train but news from the east and the north shall alarm him <clears throat> and he shall go up with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction and he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain yet he shall come to his end with none to help him, let's turn to our psalter response in the bulletin, Psalm 34. <clears throat> Come, O children, listen to me.
0: I will teach you the fear of the Lord.
2: What man is there who desires life? And longs many days that he may see
0: good.
2: Keep your tongue from evil. And
0: your
2: Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace <clears> the, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. And his ears toward
0: their
2: The face of the Lord is against those who do evil.
0: To cut off the memory of them from the earth.
2: When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. And in the, of God, all troubles. the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Many are the affl- afflictions of the righteous.
0: The Lord, him, all.
2: He keeps all his bones. Not one of of Affliction will slay the wicked. And the, Lord the, will the Lord redeems the life of his servants. Our epistle reading is in the book of Revelations, Revelation, chapter 7. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And we conclude our reading in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, here he, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. The word of the Lord.
1: Wow. I don't think I've ever started a sermon with that word, wow. But the Daniel lesson is long and it's hard to follow. So I've said it for us all. We listen to it because it's part of Scripture, but what do we hear? There's plenty of indirect language in chapter 11. It talks about many kings. Verses 5 and 6 are a good example. It says Then the king of the south will be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arms shall not endure, but she shall be given up in her attendance, he who fathered her and he who supported her in those times. And the message goes on and talks about more and more kings. But what's striking is that there are no proper names. In this message, except for the names of kingdoms and empires like Persia and Greece, and at the end it talks about Edom, Moab, and some others, my family and I have an internal frustration with each other regarding proper nouns. Most of it concerns my wife and I. We do not use proper nouns as much as we should. When we talk about our day or tell stories, we tend to use one or two personal pronouns maybe at the beginning of our story, and then we lapse into using general pronouns like he and she. So, for example, I might tell my wife that I talked to my mom, and she told me that my sister went to visit her daughter and her granddaughters, and as the story goes along, I say she said and her and they so much that it all becomes confusing, and it's easy to mix up who I'm talking about or not even be clear about who I'm talking about. When my wife and I do this, our communication breaks down. It has become a bit of a joke in our family. Our kids tease us about it. I've witnessed my wife do the same thing with her girlfriends, and they all seem to be able to follow along just fine. So it's my opinion that women are much better at communicating with a deficit of proper nouns than men are. Now, that's what we have in our reading from Daniel chapter 11. We have a deficit of proper names, and that makes it hard to follow. A lack of proper names makes a story more of an insider's story. In other words, it helps to be on the inside of the story to be able to follow it. And the Jews were on the inside of the story. They were living what the message was talking about. They would have had little trouble following most of it, but not us. Actually, much of the message from the divine one sent by God coincides with history. So it might be hard to realize this, just listening to the to the uh, reading as it is. Much of it coincides with history. Once again, it speaks of the empires of Persia and Greece, but mostly of two Greek empires. And if we were to take the trouble to read Daniel chapter 11 with a good commentary, you could work out, Work most of it out and find that the message in the main is focused on the Syrian wars. And there were six of these Syrian wars, and they transpired during the third and second centuries before Jesus Christ. If you will remember, we heard from our readings in Daniel about Alexander the Great. So we've already, Daniel's already been talking about Alexander the Great. He attacked the Persian Empire and conquered it. Essentially, he created the Greek or Macedonian Empire. Alexander is symbolized as the billy goat. Remember that, the ram and the goat? The ram was Persia, and the billy goat is Alexander the Great in Daniel chapter 8. He spread the Greek Empire out to the east of Greece and to the south of Greece. Alexander did not live long, and after he died, his generals divided up his empire into four regions. Daniel chapter 11 concentrates on two of these empires. So what started out as one big Greek empire under Alexander the Great gets divided into four empires under his successors. There was, uh, but Daniel chapter 11 concentrates on two of those, one in Syria and the other in Egypt. The Seleucids were the rulers in the empire in Syria, and the Ptolemies were the rulers of the empire in Egypt. And there were many Seleucid kings and quite a few of them had the name Antiochus, which makes it even more confusing. So even if you use proper names, you might still get lost because there was Antiochus I, Antiochus second, third, fourth, and so on. And it was the same for the Ptolemaic rulers Ptolemy the first, Ptolemy the II, Second, Ptolemy the Third, and so on. In our reading, the kings of the north are the Seleucid kings and the kings of the South are the Ptolemaic kings. But Daniel chapter 11 is not just simply repeating what we've already heard about the the Greek Empire and Antiochus IV. Our lesson this morning brings out a pattern with these empires. Even without the proper names, you can pick it up. It goes back and forth between the king of the south and the king of the north. So for example, in verses 5 and 6 that I read just a minute ago, there is the king of the north and there's the king of the south. But it goes on and talks about king of the north, king of the south, back and forth. The kings of the south are not the same king. It's important to understand that. Throughout the message, it changes. The kings of the south change, but they're still the kings of the south. And the same thing for the kings of the north. The kings of the, of the um, north are the kings of the Seleucid Empire in Syria. And the kings of the, of the uh, south are the Ptolemaic kings of Egypt. As I told you, most of the message has to do with the Syrian wars. And these Syrian wars, six of them, lasted for about 100 years, as I said, in the 3rd and 2nd centuries before Christ. Back and forth, these wars went between the Seleucid Empire in Syria and the Ptolemaic Empire in Egypt. And the divine message brings out this back and forth pattern during this time. The king of Egypt would march against the king of Syria, and there would be a war. And then later, the king of Syria would march against Egypt, and there would be another war. And then the king of Egypt would try to take control of Syria, and back and forth it would go. And in the middle of it all, there were lots. There was plenty of intrigue and plots and strategic marriages and murder going on. In fact, there's a, the woman mentioned um, in the earlier part of chapter 11... Um, who was given to the King of the South gave her to um, the King of the North, trying to create some kind of uh, an alliance, but really trying to develop some kind of dynastic control in the, in the, the kingdom of Syria. That's Cleopatra the I. So it's interesting how there are, there's plenty of correlation with history in here, even if the proper names are not used. And guess who was geographically right in the middle of it all? Judah and the Jews. The land between Syria and Egypt was called Kuele, and I'm not sure I pronounced that right, but Coele Syria. And Judah was right in the middle of that, that area. The way for Egypt to send an army by land to attack Syria was through the region where Judah and Jerusalem was. And the way for Syria to send an army by land to attack Egypt was through the region where Judah and Jerusalem were. The armies did not venture to the east of Judah because that was a huge desert. Nobody wanted to go that way, and nor did they venture to the west of Judah, at least not by land, because that was the Mediterranean Sea. So if they wanted to go by land, they had to go by what is called a land bridge, a strip of land that led to Syria in one direction and Egypt in the other. And this land bridge is exactly where Judah was located. Now I said most of our lesson from Daniel coincides with history, but the last part does not, verses 40 through 45. These verses talk about an ultimate battle between Antiochus IV and the Ptolemaic ruler of Egypt. It breaks the pattern of back and forth between the southern kings and the northern kings. Antiochus comes sweeping down the land bridge in those verses. He kills thousands of Jews in Judah, and then he pushes into Egypt where he becomes the ruler of that empire and confiscates its wealth. This section of the message tells of many of the nations lining up behind him like the Cushites and the Libyans. And this did not happen at the end of the Syrian wars. So what do we do with these verses? What do we do with that? Well, one answer takes these final verses and fits them into a theological model about the end times of history. And according to this arrangement, verses 40 through 45 are not talking about Antiochus IV. They're talking about the Antichrist who comes at the end of time. This interpretation says there will be a tribulation for God's people at the end of history. And during that time, the Antichrist will come and try to seduce Christians away from Christ. The hymn in verse 40 is taken to be the Antichrist, not Antiochus IV, who is, Antiochus IV is the one who's been talked about in verses 20 through 39, but now suddenly in verse 40, according to this interpretation, the hymn there is not Antiochus IV, it's Antichrist. Now it just so happens that last week the church mail came and there was a brochure in it. The brochure said on the front in big letters, You are here. And there was, there was sort of a timeline on it. And then these letters, You are here, and the arrow pointing to a section at the end of the line that was marked the tribulation. And what it was saying is that we are entering into the tribulation and the rise of the Antichrist right now. So we are all right here on the timeline. The conclusion about Daniel eleven forty 40 through 45 is that since the details do not correlate with history in the time of the Syrian war, it must relate to another point in history in the distant future. So it requires isolating verses 40 and 45 from the rest, 40 through 45 from the rest of Daniel chapter 11. So here's a better way to interpret these verses at the end. And I'm going through all this because it is a difficult chapter to follow, and I'm trying to help you be able to get some sense of it here's a better way to interpret these verses 40 through 45 they're a gathering up of antiochus the momentous horrifying and painful deeds that become a type of a terrible ruler so in verses 40 through 45 using antiochus the fourth you have a type kind of being set out there it's like a magnifying glass focused on antiochus the fourth that makes him stand out for his vile acts against the jews and against god what Antiochus IV did rose above the pattern of nation fighting against nation. So at the end, you sort of, it sort of jumps out of that pattern of going back and forth, nation against nation, which is somewhat of a pattern in history. And you've got this now this accent on Antiochus IV. He rose up in the world against God and against God's people like few have done. But there have been Others. And it doesn't take long to think about history and some of the horrible rulers that have, that have come in it uh, who have not only attacked Christians, but um, lots of people, but Christians have often been in the center of it. The Roman Caesar Nero is another one, and the book of Revelation marks him as particular evil, particularly evil. In the fourth century, the emperor Diocletian was a momentous, horrifying ruler for the Christians. The Ottoman Empire, uh, Ottoman army led by Sultan Mohammed II, conquered the Christian city of Constantinople in 1453. And according to Leonard of Chios, who was an eyewitness there, so he wrote down his account, they pillaged the city and committed all kinds of atrocities against the inhabitants. And that's coming up through history. If you get to the modern times, Stalin was a particularly terrifying ruler, and so was Mao in China. And they committed horrendous, terrible acts against the people, the citizens of their own country, but that did include a lot of the Christians and churches that were serving there. They starved and killed millions, and Stalin committed uh, millions, tens of millions, into the gulags, and that included Christians. Both Stalin and Mao defied God. They both openly and, and uh, claimed to be atheists and denied that there's a God. Today, Kim Jong-un is another example of a ruler who escalates horrifying deeds against his citizens, Christians, and against God. So the kind of description in verses 40 through 45 is not just for Antiochus IV in the days of the Jews, nor is it just for someone off in the future sometime ahead of us. It's a type for all rulers, terrifying rulers in the past, present, and future. We need a broad view of tribulation for the church. We don't need a narrow view. We need a broad view of tribulation for the church. Tribulation or momentous crises inflicted by horrible rulers has been happening in the church from the days of Jesus until now. This is what Jesus is talking about in our gospel lesson from Mark in verse 14 Chapter 13, verse 14, Jesus says, When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And Jesus uses Daniel to talk about Jerusalem, that, that abomination of desolation. That's a phrase from Daniel. And Jesus uses it to talk about Jerusalem and the Jews and the Christians who lived there and the horrifying attack by a ruler. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 A.D. And this is how I preached it. It wasn't too long ago that I actually preached this text from Mark. And um, this is what I said. In 66 A.D., the Roman general Titus marched his troops into Judea and surrounded Jerusalem. The Romans laid siege to the city. It fell in 70 A.D. The city was razed to the ground. The temple was desecrated and destroyed. According to Josephus... (coughs) A Jewish historian who lived in the first century, the soldiers of Titus set up their standards in the temple and sacrifice made sacrifices to the standards representing the different legions under Titus, and they acclaimed Titus as emperor. And that all happened in the temple, or what was left of it. It was another great evil, such as what Antiochus, uh, what Antiochus the Fourth Men did in the temple back in the days of um, of of uh, Daniel. The Romans destroyed the temple and left the city in ruins. Titus was a ruler who brought terrifying tribulation upon the Christians and Jews in Jerusalem. Revelation talks about the horrifying crisis that came upon the church from Roman leaders like Nero and Domitian. Domitian was at the end of the first century. Domitian was a cruel ruler. He revived the emperor worship, and there was persecution of Christians who would not participate. And this was a terrifying time for Christians. The Muslim armies pushing across North Africa in the 7th century was a time of tribulation for Christians in what is today Tunisia and Egypt. There have been times when rulers have been exceptionally terrible for the church, or at least they've allowed for a society to be exceptionally terrible to the church. And there have been other times when there's been relative calm for Christians. And the same thing for places – there have been places where Christians have suffered terrible tribulation, such as in the province of Manipur, India, while other places in the world are peaceful. We're relatively peaceful. There's a lot of ideological problems going on in our country, and, um, and, and maybe a storm cloud is off in the, in the distance there. But over in Manipur, India, they're running for their lives today. So we need a broader view of what tribulation means and is in this world than just what is happening to us in our place. So you have the insert in your bulletin about it. Um, That was supposedly told me not to post that online, so I didn't send it out to you by email, but I did give it to you that way. I don't quite understand because when I searched it on the Internet, it's, it's talked about on the Internet, but anyway, that's what they wanted. It's not the first time in India... But it may be one of the worst outbreaks recently against the Christians. Uh, Manipur is a province in the north and a little bit to the east side of India. And it just has been a place where there's been great tension against the Christians who live there. And there are quite a few Christians and churches that live there, Protestant and Roman Catholic. So now it's come to a head, and surely that is a tribulation for the Christians who live there. And you can read the descriptions. It may not be caused by one terrifying ruler, but it is terrifying nonetheless. And there are stories about the police just stepping aside and allowing it to go. Presumably, the churches in Manipur, India, think that they're going through tribulation. If you were there, presumably you would see it as tribulation or a tribulation. So we must not be short-sighted about the church undergoing tribulation. The church has had to face tribulation of various kinds from the beginning until now. And just because it's not happening to us Christians in one place does not mean that, therefore, it's only off in the future. More tribulation for the church will come in the future. Some of it may be extreme, but the church will suffer terrible rulers and horrific crises from the time when Jesus first came until he comes again at the end of history. We who follow Jesus Christ must pass through times of terrible rulers who attack the church and times of tribulation. Our revelation reading tells us what John saw, the Apostle John. He saw the multitude of the church standing before the throne of God in blessedness. And the elder asked him if he knew who they were, and John said that he did not. Then the elder explained, explained These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Some church doctrine has made them a separate group within the church. So there's ordinary Christians, and then there are those who've suffered some kind of serious uh, persecution or whatever, and um, and, if, and they have a special place because of that. But there really is no. Re- I look back over this text. I look back over my notes when I taught it, and I don't see any reason why we should take them as a special group of Christians. They are all those who have passed through the tribulation in this world with faith in Christ. Multitude, John sees them from all the different nations. Every Christian must pass through the tribulation in this world. The way of Jesus Christ is the way of of the cross. And at times, the tribulation will become more severe than at other times In some places it will become more intense than in other places at any given time. But we must all pass through times of terrible rulers and tribulation in this world. So our our call to obedience uh, from Romans chapter 12 talked about mourning with those who mourn. So even if we aren't being attacked directly, like the church in India... Are we not to mourn with them? And in a sense, a secondary sense, we are sharing in their tribulation. Tribulation is not reserved only for those Christians who live at the end of history. All right, then. We face tribulation. We must pass through it. But we need more than a heads up on this. We need more than just clearer thinking about it. And I want to direct your attention back to a verse in chapter 10 in our reading. I'm very glad that George refused to read just followed the instructions and read (laughs) what needed to be read because important verse is in that chapter 10 there, verse 19, chapter 10, verse 19. The divine messenger is speaking to Daniel and he says, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. This is what he says to Daniel and then he delivers the long message in chapter 11 and along with the message comes strength and courage. The messenger from God does more than give Daniel and the Jews and us some information about tribulation in this world. And some Christians spend an inordinate amount of time studying Daniel, especially the second half of Daniel, which includes chapter 11. And they try to understand what every symbol means, they try to unravel each phrase, and some of them try to fit it into a preset theological framework. And elaborate charts have been created to trace out how these chapters relate to history. And there's a lot of information here. But what what does information do for us when tribulation comes, such as the church in Manipur, India? Many of those Christians have lost everything. Their churches have been burned down, their lives and the lives of their families have been threatened. The Christians have been are being killed for being Christians, and if they're going to keep going as Christians, information's not going to do much for them. They need courage and strength. God gives courage and strength to us so that we can pass through tribulation when it comes. Now, one of the classical virtues is fortitude or courage. There's just, if I can remember them, wisdom, prudence, fortitude, and, you know, or justice and fortitude. And it was believed in classical times and even uh, somewhat today that you can develop it in your character through self-discipline and restraint. And I think there's a lot of truth in that, generally speaking, that general fortitude and courage can come from not indulging ourselves with everything but by learning how to be um, disciplined in how we respond to things. There are plenty of examples of people who've learned how to restrain their fear when they had to face an enemy, such as soldiers – who fight in combat. Not all of them. I, I know I would be one of those who just melt if I was in combat. It's good that I'm not here to protect the nation. Um, but there are plenty of, courage, of soldiers who exhibit great courage. Rosa Parks is another one who challenged the social norms in the 1950s, and that took courage. People are capable of raising up their courage in moments of great challenge. However, the courage and strength that God gives, gives us to pass through times of tribulation comes from his grace... It's a different kind of strength and courage. It's courage and strength to keep faith in God while being in the middle of a storm that is trying to get you to give up your faith. It's courage and strength to continue to worship God when you've been told that you will be imprisoned, assaulted, or maybe killed for doing so. It's it is identifying yourself as Jesus Christ even though that means you will be rejected by the society you live in. It's it's a different kind of strength and courage. And the courage and strength that God gives us is that kind of strength and courage. It's courage and strength to go through the times of tribulation. And without this kind of courage and strength, we will not retain our Christian faith and practice when the tribulation comes. And here's the good news. God himself plants this courage and strength in us. It's interesting that verse 19 that Daniel, uh, the the, the messenger says, I've come to give you, you know, be strong and of good courage. And and Daniel responds that that he is, that he now has that strength and courage. And that's before chapter 11 and the whole, all the the, uh, story about the fighting between the kings of the north and the south. God himself plants this courage and strength in us. It's not something that comes from scripture as scripture. Scripture as scripture does not plant that in you. God uses scripture to help the courage and strength that he plants in us. He helps it grow using scripture but scripture as scripture doesn't plant it in us and it's the same thing with preaching preaching may inspire us and excite us to act with courage and strength but preaching in and of itself cannot somehow make you courageous and strong in tribulation as if i could somehow reach down and just you know stick it all in you with what i'm talking about i can't do that only god can do that and god does god plants courage and strength in you by joining you to jesus christ in whom was all strength and courage as he went to the cross in order to die for our salvation. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, it doesn't say he was strong and courageous, but that's what was going on there. He was exhibiting that strength and courage to go forward to something that is a horrendous death. In Jesus is this strength and courage for tribulation. And when we're joined with him, it sprouts in us and begins to grow. In the Colorado mountains, there are groves of aspen trees. You've probably seen calendars that show the mountains and then these yellow spots. Really, Colorado has three colors, brown, green, and yellow. And the yellow only shows up in the fall. So for most of the year, it's brown and green. But the aspen trees are all over in the mountains there. They're groves of aspen. And we all think that they're a bunch of separate trees, right, that have seeds that somehow fall and a new tree starts and all that. That's not how it works with aspens. They're actually not a bunch of individual trees. Those groves are a single tree. They all share the same root system. They, the, the, the grove begins in one place, and a tree begins, and then this massive root system starts, and new stems come up along the, as the root system expands out. But you see, all those trees are really part of the same root. In the same way, the strength and courage that each of us receives from Jesus Christ is connected to him. So we don't end up with our own individual kinds of strength and courage. It's all tapped in. To Jesus Christ strength and courage and it's for all of us we're all tapped into that same root or John uh, 15 would talk about the same vine we're branches of the same vine so we're all tapped into Jesus strength and courage and that's the strength and courage God gives us to pass through the, temp- the tribulations and crises that happen in this world pray for the courage and strength we need when we must pass through terrible times Let us pray. Almighty God, you have given your only Son to be for us a sacrifice for sin and also our strength. Give us grace to receive, thankfully, the fruits of his redeeming work and to persevere through the tribulations of this life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand. Let us confess our faith with the Creed. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, for us and for our salvation, found from heaven, incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. We approach the Lord's table singing our hymn, number 88, With Grateful Heart My Thanks I Bring. With Grateful
0: Heart My Thanks
1: Out upon the crowds that had come out of the town to him, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had them all sit down in groups upon the green grass. And then taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and they all ate and were satisfied. Here's a story of Christ's compassion upon the people feeding them, and they were satisfied. There's a promise in that. as we come to his meal and eat the food that he sets before us, he satisfies our hearts and our restlessness and our longing for God. According to to the Lord's institution, his bread and cup is set apart from a common use to his holy use. Our Lord, on the night of his arrest, took the bread and blessed God. He broke it, gave it to his disciples, and he did the same, the cup. We offer our thanksgiving to the Lord and we receive his nourishment for our new life with confidence in the promise of Christ who also said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am bread of life. We offer our thanksgiving to the Lord with confidence in his promise and with trust and faith and thanksgiving for what he's done for us. Join with me now in giving thanks to God for our salvation and new life in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Jesus Christ, we give and grace. Almighty God, our good Father, your face is turned towards your world. You've not rejected your creation, although you judge it, you have not just cast it aside. In love, you gave us Jesus, your son, to rescue us from sin and death. Your word goes out to bring us into that fellowship, that fellowship that extends from earth and into heaven, where angels sing your praise, and the uh, the Christians who've gone before us, such as those we've heard of in Revelation 7, join them in heaven's great song, and we join them now, that song that is in those few verses, few phrases, Um, that is being sung to you. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Father of all, we give you thanks for every gift that comes from heaven. Into the darkness Jesus came as the light of your salvation. With his word and deeds he touched those who were sinful with love and he washed the guilty clean. We remember how the crowds came out to see your son and yet at the end they turned on him. On the night he was betrayed, he came to table with his disciples to set out the meal for your people. We thank you that those disciples could eat that meal with him and that we can do the same now. We pray that as we do so, our communion with him would be realized by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, with this bread and this cup, we celebrate Jesus' death upon the cross in order to set us free Defeating death, he rose again and is alive with you as our eternal Savior and the one who intercedes for us and for your whole church. By the Spirit, uniting us with Christ, may our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a communion in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we and all who share this meal offer ourselves to live for you and be welcomed at your feast in heaven where all creation does worship you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we offer this prayer to you, we say together, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it. said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Thank says, the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me will live because of me. Take and eat this bread, and drink this cup, and remember Christ's body and blood given for you, and receive it with faith, and thanksgiving. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. We praise and thank you, O Christ, for this sacred feast. For here we eat and drink with you. Here the memory of your passion is renewed. Here our minds are filled with grace. Here we have fed in faith upon Christ who gives us life. And here the pledge of future glory is given. When we shall feast at that table where you reign with all your saints forever. We go forth now to serve you in this world with gratitude for our Savior and with trust in your grace to make us strong. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our final hymns, number 571. Stand up. Stand up, for stand up. stand up for Jesus.
0: Stand up, stand up for Jesus. He soldiers of the
1: sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen.
0: Go forth for God.
2: morning um, I'm looking at the bulletin um, nothing uh, that we haven't covered recently in terms of uh, upcoming events so please look this over um, we have Christian education today and I uh, We have the Celebrate Recovery meeting on Saturdays. We have the uh, Hannah Dutz hosting a meeting about the Chinese Education Freedom (coughs) Fund. That's this coming week. So check that out, and that's all I have. With Celebrate Recovery,
1: is that missionary and dinner thing this coming Saturday? Okay, so two weeks. Yeah, it's going
2: to be spaghetti, -hmm. meat after. All right, very good. Well, let's get some refreshment and we'll have our class a bit later.